Welcome back to Strange Highways. I hope everybody uh, decided to take the glove cleaner, wash out the last episode, and, and come back and listen to this one. I am Paul. <coughs> and I'm Kevin. Sorry. He was, uh, just, he was drinking the rest of his glove cleaner. He just wanted to get yeah. that up. <laughs> no, I was just uh, finishing up practicing my trumpet for tonight's episode. <laughs> Did you have half of it in your face, like down down the throat? Is that what you're, you're like? I just had to get that yeah, trumpet. Yeah, you know, I played trombone for a long time, and I don't think I ever wet the mouthpiece like that before I started playing. I was going to ask you, I mean, not that I knew that you played a trombone, but I just, um, bef- I guess before we get to the episode proper, like, Jack Klugman supposedly uh, sat with somebody and learned to try to how to operate a, a, a trumpet for the episode, at least make it look like it. I've never seen that habit before. No. So well, it- maybe that's why I never got first chair in band. Maybe it's because I... <laughs> I didn't swallow my mouthpiece before I started playing. <laughs> I mean, I've eaten three recorders, but that was completely unrelated, you know, like, uh, um, but anyway, uh, too much information. There, Paul. Just, they, they were wonderful. Um, now, so, uh, this, this episode is, um, a passage for trumpet season one, episode 32, uh, air date five twenty nineteen sixty. 1960, uh, number one song, new one. Uh, we've had some Elvis for a while. Now it is the Everly oh, brothers, so uh, yeah? Kathy's okay. clown. All right. So, which, you know, like that's a nice little pleasant little song. I, I like, yeah. I just, I understand the songs are gonna be popular and it's going to be, there's going to be a few weeks here and there where we're stuck with like, I don't know, Mac the knife. Um, but I like seeing kind of like these like hits that last like one or two weeks. So I don't, I don't know. It just, it feels more, more in tune today than it, than it did back then. Cause I feel like music changes so much now that you're yeah. always having a new number one. I couldn't even tell you what the number one song is right now anyway. So anyway, uh, number one film, please don't eat the daisies. And we still have that for a bit. Um, I couldn't find anything for um, the the air date, but I did find two facts that are kind of interesting. Uh, two days before this, which was um, uh, May 18th, the 132nd and last original broadcast of the landmark American TV series Playhouse 90 uh, showed its last episode. The reason oh. I mentioned this is because uh, Serling wrote actually a few different scripts for that. It was an actual live, well, it was supposed to be a live 90-minute uh, show each week whenever they were doing it. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of crossover from uh, actors from that into Twilight Zone. Yeah, and he so, won. He won the Emmy noteworthy. for uh, um, Re- Requiem for Heavyweight. Uh, run, it won uh, 1957's Emmy for Best Single Program of the Year, Best Teleplay Writing, Best Director, Best Art Direction, and Best Single Performance by an Actor. So I mean, I think that's that momentum is what got him the Twilight Zone, I, if, I, if I remember correctly. So um, yeah, so that show actually ended just as the Twilight Zone was kind of really just getting started. Um, And then a day after this aired, um, Jeffrey Dahmer was born. So there you go. That's that's your other other fun fact. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really ties into this episode. (laughs) I've already talked about eating three recorders. You talked about not not eating your trombone. So here's a person that would one day grow up to eat people. So that's your connection. I have that's not really a connection. Um, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I didn't really have too much for this date this period of time i'll kind of get into jazz music around this period but i, I kind of want to talk about it and how it deals with this episode so i'm not, I'm not going to bring it up right now okay that's that's fine um we'll just tease that for later uh so um yeah let's just get into uh the episode proper in terms of cast and crew 
All right, let's start off with the director. We have Don Medford, who directed four other Twilight Zone episodes. This is the first time we've seen him. And not really too much I was too familiar with, other than he did a ton of TV work. He was a pretty prolific TV director. Um, yeah. But yeah, a lot of work, a lot of TV work. Um, I just mentioned here he directed two episodes of Airwolf, just because you got to always bring an Air- Airwolf when you can. Uh, that movie, that made-for-TV movie Ghostbreakers, we mentioned back with Kevin McCarthy on Long Live Walter Jameson. He directed oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about um, that. There was a 1971 Western called The Hunting Party. It's really violent. Do you, Have you seen that? Because it sounds like something you would have seen. No, that sounds. that definitely sounds like something I would have seen. <laughs> okay, uh, I just thought that- uh, I'm going to have to throw that in my Amazon queue right now. Yeah. Like, uh, what was it? Leonard Malton was kind of like, it, it, it was serviceable, but like, it was just, they, people were just like, it, it was okay movie, but why was it so violent? So that sounds like something you'd probably like. Um, but, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oliver Reed and Gene Hackman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I got to watch it. <laughs> I, oh, man. So um, uh, using my wonderful references I mentioned last week, I did some reading about uh, about the director, uh, Don Medford, Buck Houghton, which you're not you're going to see the name Houghton again appear in this episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, He said Don was especially useful where you needed to be very, very gripping and where violence of nature had something to do with it. And he's like, I don't mean violence in the sense of a baseball bat hitting a guy's head. I mean, the tensions that go around violence. Like he said, Don appreciates those. He likes them and he struggles for them. I don't know if it necessarily applies to this episode, but it's interesting that, that, um, that Buck was, he could recognize like, you know, certain kind of personality types to kind of fit the episodes they had. And I thought that yeah. was kind of an interesting comment about that. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely keep that in mind for the upcoming, because I think he has a episode coming up very soon. I think so. So, yeah, we'll we'll have to keep that little excerpt in mind. Uh, as far as casting, yeah, I, I can definitely see he probably had an eye for it if he was involved with it, because the casting of Jack uh, Klugman, Klugman, or pronounce it. Uh, um, it's Klugman, yeah. Klugman, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's pretty well known now, but he plays this character pretty perfectly. So if he did have anything to do with that, he does have a fantastic eye for that. Yeah, and and speaking of Jack Klugman, like he actually ties Burgess Meredith with uh, the most appearances on the Twilight Zone in a lead role with four. So this is his first of four. Nice. Uh, yeah, and it looks like he worked with Don Medford again on a few other episodes that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, in this episode, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, written by Rod Serling. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot uh, about Rod as, Serling. Yeah, got to mention it. Got to mention it. Uh, so yeah, we'll get into the cast. We the aforementioned uh, Jack Klugman as Joey Crown, your lead character, lead trumpet player. Um, three other Twilight Zones, as we mentioned, he was most well known for Oscar and the Odd Couple, and uh, he was the lead in Quincy Medical Examiner. Yeah, <laughs> which I was never a big fan of that show growing up. I didn't like it either because whenever Quincy came on, that meant like all the cartoons and stuff I wanted to watch was over with. You know, it was yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> But I like the I like the odd couple though growing up. Like that was one of those mid afternoon shows in syndication that I actually liked a lot and I felt like the humor actually held up pretty well because him and um Tony Randall had a really good chemistry. And yeah, it uh, was great. And I, I caught it a lot on uh Nick at Night used to play it, if I'm not mistaken, quite a bit. Uh, yeah, it's a fun show. And uh I was just gonna mention just because I always do, he was uh juror number five in Twelve Angry Men. So I think at some point we're going to get through all 12 jurors while doing this show. That, that was all, all the angry men. Uh, so I'm, I'm also going to mention that in 1974, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. The reason I mentioned that is one, every time he has a cigarette in his mouth, this episode has made me feel bad. And two, um, he got this weird rasp later because they actually had to do surgery on his vocal cords. So the voice you hear here is not the voice he had for like the second half of his life. And mm-hmm. it's just... It's just one of those things. It's like you hear him later and you're like, what happened? And it's like, oh, well, because he grew up at a time when smoking was just everything he did, you know, and um, yeah. it's, just, it's just something that just kind of stuck with me. So every time he had a cigarette yeah. in his mouth, this time I wanted to slap it out of his face while watching the episode. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. Uh, next up, we have John Anderson, who plays Gabriel or Gabraham uh, Lincoln, as I like to call him. God Ah, you always beat me to this. I literally wrote that down on my notes. Uh, Gabraham Lincoln. Uh, uh, here again, we're going to go through the whole cast of Psycho eventually. Right. Uh, he was in three other Twilight Zone episodes, and he was in a movie called Namu, the Killer Whale, which came before Shamu. What? Yeah, that's funny. 
Yeah. I saw I I don't know if Shamu is a remake of Namu. <laughs> I, I got to do more research. I didn't have time to look into it, nor did I care that much. <laughs> so I noticed that uh, Gabraham Lincoln was also an episode of Quantum Leap, and then he was in an episode of Voyagers, which is that 80s TV show that didn't last very long. It also dealt with time travel. And the reason I mentioned that is because he was in an episode called The Day the Rebs Took Lincoln as Abraham Lincoln, and that made me so happy. That, it's just killing me right now that you wrote that. I seriously, I'm staring at Gabe Lincoln on the back of my sheet here. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that we're on the same page, and I'm sorry that I took the joke from you. Oh, it's all right. You know, <laughs> we're both racing to that low hanging fruit. <laughs> uh, That's the only way I operate. Is just I got to reach for what I can get. So yeah. uh, I'll be all here right. all week, folks. <laughs> Tip your waiters. I, <laughs> I took uh, two more notes on two more actors here. We got Frank Wolf, who plays as uh, the Baron. Uh, he's an Italian actor who I want to bring him up because he was in a bunch of spaghetti westerns, uh, along with two of my favorites, The Great Silence and Once Upon a Time in the West, which, if you haven't seen those, are two of the best Italian westerns. Yeah, well, you you've check out. You've challenged me to watch Once Upon a Time in the West this year, and uh, I feel like that's going to be the cherry on the Sunday of all the other movies that I'll be watching that are westerns. So I'm holding put off. Great Silence on that list for you? No, you didn't. Um, no. But, yeah. All right. I probably had a little too many of the darker ones on there. I was trying to mix it up. Well, I saw um, the one title he was in was called God Forgives, I Don't. And I was like, yeah, that's that, a very, oh very 70s title for a movie. I love it. I think that's also with uh, Klaus Kinski, who is in uh, Great Silence with him. In, in, um, not, the, not that we've already we've identified Abraham Lincoln, but this guy looked like Jimmy Kimmel with a mustache to me when we saw him on the screen. So I don't, I don't know if you got that vibe or not, but I was like, why is Jimmy Kimmel in this episode? Why is he so, so ageless? But uh, yeah. I, it was a Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer movie. Wrong one. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think I'm thinking of, and God said to Kane. Oh, there's, there's so many long, ridiculous titles. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I also read about him too, that he later on, he committed suicide in like uh, the early seventies. Um, and it's like for, for the, the story we're about to talk about and the troubled life that we're going to talk about, it's almost like Frank Wolf, like it, like you could have told his story in this episode from everything I kind of read about him. So, but he was only in it for a little bit, but, uh, yeah, he has, uh, interesting history. Yeah. And then lastly, I wanted to bring up Mary Webster who plays yet another Nan. Yeah. Um, she was in one other twilight zone. She's got a real bit role in this, but. When she said her name was Nan, I was like, oh, God, he loves that. Yeah. And I know it's kind of a play off of his daughter's name, right? His daughter's name was Anne. Yeah. So it, it's just, I don't know why he keeps going back to Nan, though. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, it's it's an it's an odd name. It's not a common name. But, it yeah, it's, it's already showed up in The Hitchhiker in here. I don't know how many other times it shows up. But, uh, Keeping whenever, a running tally. We're right? at two. <laughs> um, I will note that she. this is uh, one of two Twilight Zone appearances. She was in another Jack Klugman episode called Death Ship. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Which is also Don Medford, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Right? Um, yeah. This is pretty much the end of her career. Like She did the Twilight Zone and a couple other things around this time, and then she retired from acting, and she lived until, I want to say, late 90s, early 2000s. And this was pretty much it for her. Um, I do want to mention the other two actors that you least hear from in this episode. You hear from uh, Ned Glass, who was the pawn shop owner. Um, I just want to mention that he was on West Side Story and also in a movie called uh, Fortune Cookie from 1966. Sounds that, racist. Yeah, well, maybe. But it has Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, who were the original Odd Couple. So I thought that was kind of weird <laughs> that he, you know, just we had Klugman and then he ends up with the Odd Couple. Um, and then uh, James Flavin, who was the truck driver that was real quick to pay off uh, the accident. Um, if you if you click on his IMDb profile, it is ridiculous. 507 acting credits. Yeah, it, I, I clicked on that and I clicked right out of it because I didn't feel like digging through yeah, it. It's like he's in everything. And, but he was uh, the second mate in uh, 1933's King Kong. So I guess when they're huh. on the ship. So I, I just mentioned that because you got you know a movie that changed you know movies forever and just it, i understand the actors act and they're going to keep acting and they want to put money in their pocket but it's just it's crazy the connections going backwards and forwards with the show you know so yeah um twilight zone really did touch every part of pop culture it's it felt like it yeah so uh but yeah that's your cast um <laughs> very the very few that there are so yeah um, 
All right. So, um, yeah, let's just get to what, what Mr. Sherling had to say. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, whose life is a quest for impossible things, like flowers in concrete or like trying to pluck a note of music out of the air and put it under glass to treasure. Joey Crown, musician with an odd, intense face, who in a moment will try to leave the earth and discover the middle ground, the place we call the Twilight Zone. They got real loud and then one horn honk. I just had to keep yeah, that, that was, in there. It's kind of painful. It was intense. Uh, <laughs> I think I need to turn my headphones down. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I just want to say before we get started that that was a really long intro for this episode. I think it clocked in at about seven minutes mm-hmm. before his intro, his uh, beginning narration ended. Yeah, I had to cut like because normally like this one and like there's only a handful of others where he has that like gap in his intro where he talks about one bit there's character bit and then he has the second part of his intro this one was pretty long like i was waiting i was like that's it and then it happened again like a 25 minute episode in seven minutes was uh the intro right (laughs) it's kind of insane so i think i think i have an answer for that though um so this character of joey crown um this isn't the first time sterling wrote wrote about him I should have probably mention this at the beginning, and I, I forgot. Uh, he actually has had a couple different scripts before this for radio that were produced with this character, and then also he had ones for TV. He kept trying to submit that uh, they kept rejecting. And so it was the exact same written character. He was a jazz uh, trumpet you, player. Well, one time he's a pianist, and another time it's just like basically the 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 genesis of Joey was very much like you know uh, talented, down on his luck, blaming the world around him just looking for a break. Um, so it feels like this is a character that was really near to Serling. And um, so the last time he submitted this script, which, cause it had different names and there's a whole big history of this. So I'm not going to get all that. However, the, before it became this episode, he submitted uh, the script to another production company under the name passage for trumpet. And it was rejected and sent back to his agent instead of him. So his agent didn't know he did it. So, ah. um, and I think this will sum up, how people kind of felt about this. So she wrote back to him on the comments on the script saying, I'm not going to harp on you with the, I told you so theme, but I do wish Rod that you would not leave bad examples of your work with editors. If you could only learn to evaluate your work more than throw a few things in the wastebasket, I'm sure it would help your career in the long run. You are not in such dire financial position that you have to sell everything you write. Practically, uh, Every writer turns out some bad material at one point or another and accepts the fact that in a, in a mature way. Since you uh, know that you are not analytical when it comes to your own writing, I think that you should respect your agent's judgment a little bit more. <laughs> I am as anxious to, to sell as you are, but not at the expense of my writer's reputation or my own. Ouch. It's a lot, it's yeah. a lot of reading there, but I wanted to kind of get across that like people, he kept submitting this and people were like, you know, I can get behind like, you know, a musician down on his luck, but like, where is this going? And I feel like, it, it, you know, not to foreshadow too much, I feel like it shows in this episode. Um, yeah, I, I feel kind of bad because I was going to say that this episode has a very personal feel, like you were kind of getting to. Uh, it, it has a lot of themes that Serling dealt with himself that we've seen, it, whether it be uh, addiction, depression, um, just uh, just trying to find happiness in life and everything. You know, he, he went through a lot of shit before he started uh, getting critical success. And there's a lot in this that feels really personal. So I that cannot have uh, felt good hearing that back from this. Yeah, but then he submits it for his own show, right? And so um, further on, and I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse again, so I apologize. Uh, the director of photography, George Clemens, stated... Um, that Klugman gave one of the finest performances I've ever seen as an actor give, but I got Rod and Buck down on the set in the middle of the second day. I said, if you're not going to stop the director, the way he's going, this picture is going to be an hour picture. But if you can figure out a way that we could put it into two episodes or get a network to let it go an hour, we'll have one of the greatest pictures ever seen. And he's like, they wouldn't go with me. And unfortunately they cut the picture to shreds. So yeah. I feel like those two statements really put like the episode at its place. Not like, as in like, how dare you, but more like, I feel like there was something really personal going on here and there were some really good moments, but either it didn't have enough time to breathe 
or it was not, or I would argue that this was overbaked. I would argue that Rod loved his baby too much. And yeah, couldn't, well, you know, I mean, that can be seen just with the seven minute intro on a 20 minute episode. Right. Uh, I, that throws the pacing all uh, out of whack. Yeah. Uh, it seems like people don't hate this episode, though. It has fairly positive uh, viewer reviews on it. Um, I, I don't hate it either. And, and we should, I, again, I, I apologize to listeners <laughs> that we kind of got into like the, the meat and potatoes of it before we even got to the story, you know, but this episode's wonky. And so I've maybe, maybe we're serving it better by having a wonky discussion about it. Um, yeah. Well, why, why don't we kind of get into the yeah. plot or, or what there is of it? Yeah. <laughs> and then we can kind of break it down a little bit more. Um, so yeah, you got uh Joey crown. He is backstage at, uh, at one of the concert clubs he usually plays at, and he's trying to get a gig playing with the old band leader, uh, Baron. And, uh, he's trying to get a job and Baron's like, man, I just can't hire you. Like if I hire you, I get the bottle as well. And you find out that, uh, Joey's been having a problem with drinking and everything and depression. And he, he tells him, no, he's all better. And he ends up, uh, I'm not quite sure where the bottle fell from. I think it was was his his trumpet case. I mean, hopefully oh, it, was in his, it was in his trumpet case. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. You're right. It's not quite clear. Uh, my argument would be if you're just trying to convince the guy that you're not drinking, then don't have drink near you. That just seems like a good, like a good job, like aid. Like if you're trying to tell people you're not alcoholic, don't have it on you when you're trying to perform that night. Just that's yeah, your, it's, that's it's your a way pro to get tip. to A and B in the short story though. So I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that. <laughs> That's fair, but I'm just saying in the future, everybody, if you want to go for a gig, whatever vice you have, just keep it in your car and then go do the gig. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he asks him what went wrong with you and everything. He tells him that he kind of has nothing else going for him and he can really only play the trumpet when he's drunk. So uh, he ends up leaving. He gets discouraged and he goes to a pawn shop and uh, the pawn shop guy says, well, you're back again. So you get the idea that he's tried to trade in his trumpet uh, multiple times before, <laughs> and he finally goes through with it and gets what did he say eight and a half? Yeah, eight dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, it's a weird way. Of that, that's that. some GameStop trade-in prices there for for that yeah. instrument. Uh, but yeah, he didn't even look at it. And like some of those trumpets are worth a lot of money. <laughs> well, and then also before that, whenever he's telling uh, Baron, he's like this. He's like this trumpet is half of me. This is half of my language. This is half of the like, basically. You know, he, he can't exist without it, but then he goes to the pawn shop and sells half of himself. You know, you know yeah. it's like... That, he, it, that whole uh, speech he gives at the beginning is incredible, though. Yeah, it like, is good. Like, knowing him from the odd couple and then seeing that come out of him, it was just, it was kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, it was, you, you I, of, of whatever nitpicks I have about this episode, like... Uh, on second viewing, I'll say the first time around, the whole thing kind of felt flat. Um, I, no pun intended from a music standpoint. Uh, but the second time around, once I knew what the gig was, like what was going on, his performance shone through. And he really, you know, it, it was it was quite good. Well, it definitely wasn't a sharp episode. <laughs> uh, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, it, it, great performance from him. Uh, where was it? Yeah, so he traded in and... The guy is going to sell it for 25 bucks and he tells him probably won't get that. <laughs> so yeah, I love there is a little great moment in here when he goes to put his lips up to the trumpet one more time. And when he goes to play it, the cash register sound plays and he puts it down. Yeah. Um, they, and then the way that he is, is lipping that mouthpiece, though, it just it is very yeah, uncomfortable. Saturating it. Yeah. And then yeah, um, I, yeah. I don't know if you watch SpongeBob at all, but there's a scene in uh, SpongeBob episode where he plays Squidward's clarinet and he licks his lips for like two minutes before he does it. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I could think of. Oh, well, yeah. Like, cause I mean, I'm, I'm not one that's handy with instruments, but I just, I'm pretty sure that's not what you do. You know, um, you just want them as wet as possible. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, you know, just cover it in saliva and then just, you're fine. Um, but like whenever, uh, he, um, he gets his money, goes to the bar, comes out drunk. And that's when he looks through the window, seeing it's $25. I will give Klugman credit. His, his drunk face against the glass when he's looking in at, at the pawn shop guy and he's just taking his finger. Like, don't you do that? Don't, don't you, don't you sell my, my trumpet that I just took money for. It was, it was interesting. It, it, it felt very raw, you know, yes. like, yeah. 
Yeah, so he finally walks over to the street and he's kind of looking around and he sees a, a big delivery truck coming and he decides to jump out and you get the first time we get to hear that amazing scream. Yeah, that was a good scream. Yeah, I rewound it like three times just to see the hit. And uh, my girlfriend was going to lose her mind. She was like, how about one more time with that scream? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was um, it was a better a better impact than it was in, um, uh, what was it, What You Need, where you know you just heard the car st- tire screech and then the guy was on the ground. So yeah, it was, there was a it, little bit of a stunt here. Yeah. Was, and uh, where this episode goes, because I watched it like three times just because I, I love seeing car stunts and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to really uh, dissect it. And it. At first, it kind of looks like ah, the, he didn't really get all of it. Like that, that didn't look too great. But later on in the episode, when you find out what's actually going on, when you go back to that car hit, it kind of makes sense the way they did it. Yeah. So I was okay with it because it, it wasn't that devastating. <laughs> um, yeah. It, uh, but it, it definitely, uh, it, it definitely set the episode in motion. But it was about about halfway through the episode, you know, like so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Just yeah, for- so he's laying on the ground, everyone's surrounding him, and uh, uh, it goes. Uh, I think it goes commercial break right there. And you come back, and he's waking up on the ground, and nobody's around him anymore. So he gets up and sees a police officer writing out a ticket or something. I'm not quite sure what he was doing there, but he goes to tell him like, "Hey, man, I'm not drunk. You don't have to write. You don't have to write me a ticket." And he just ignores him and kind of walks away. Yeah, and then you get you get that bit repeated about four times. <laughs> I, I did I put my notes here. Um, people not paying attention to him takes me back to my 20s when I was talking to girls at the bar because that's what it just felt like just sitting there like people were just about their business. He's just talking. No one cares. I was like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I think we all have. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he finally goes into the bar and he sits down. And he's I, I love I think it's by the last person he runs into. He realizes that he's dead and he's happy that he's done something right for the first time in his life. Yeah. And he starts, he starts running up to people like I'm haunting you. <laughs> and I, he makes some weird, I thought he was saying boo to her, but I think he was saying booge. Yeah. Booja booja or something like yeah, that. that. That was strange. Um, but did you, so there that's, he's talking right in front of the ticket taker for the movie theater. Um, and he's like, you know, trying to get her attention and he looks over in the mirror and sees her, but not himself. Oh yeah, and that's and, when he realizes. Yeah, and he goes over to the like you know the mirror, and there's no reflection. Um, so that was actually just a, a piece of glass and uh, double sets and twins to make that work. Uh, so right. they actually had the the two girls were twins that were mimicking each other's movements as ticket takers, and like that that was really cool effect. Um, that still kills me why they didn't do that in mirror image, but Hey, that's just me. I'm just, you know, someone had the idea to use twins for a shot that works really well. Someone did not have that same idea in an episode prior, but it was, it was, uh, it was really effective Settle down on that mirror image. Yeah. Angry. I was just thinking about that today. I want to go back and watch it. <laughs> just, just go watch the last, the last 20 seconds and then you'll just, you know, be so happy and I'll be angry. But, um, but yeah, using doubles and twins, it was, it was, it's a simple thing to do, but it sold the effect really well that he wasn't casting a reflection, even though he did see his reflection and other stuff later. That's okay. Like it was a cool moment. Yeah. I, j- I just figured it was a, uh, they just built a set on the other side. Yeah. Uh, the, or is that, the, that's they, what the, they did. Yeah. They doubled the set and they had two, oh, they had twins. Okay. So you're right. You said so. it was something with, they doubled the mirror. I thought you said, no, I'm sorry. I was kind of no. confused what you're saying. Yeah. So it was just a window and they had the same thing on the other side. Yeah. I was so excited to yeah. not talk okay. about mirror image. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. It looked really good. It was really seamless. Um, yeah. So that's when you realize he's dead. So what's the first thing you do after you realize that you've successfully killed yourself? <laughs> Go steal drinks at the bar. Yes. That's what I would do. <laughs> exactly. That's what I think I would do too. <laughs> um, and I, that was a nice moment though, aside from him just taking the drink and whatever, but he was trying to tell a story to the bartender about, you know, the guy that usually works here and the, the one time he did a nice thing for him and ordered it a record that he actually played a solo on. So he goes to the jukebox and is looking at it, remembering like the good times. And that was a nice quiet moment again. And I, and I dug that, um, you know, yeah, great character moment, great yeah. part for this episode. That kind of, it, it's it's a nice ramp up to where this episode ends uh, with uh, his revelation. So it's a 
nice buildup. Yeah. So then he ends up going back to the place where he uh, was originally going to audition, and he's just watching, and he sees uh, a gentleman uh, pull out a horn in like the the, the backstage area and start playing it, uh, amazingly so, and um and you know he comments on it and the guy talks back to him you know and he's like oh you can hear me he's like yeah i can hear you. he's like you can see me he's like yeah i can see you and and that, right. that guy looks a lot like abraham lincoln yeah uh this is what i wanted to say about this uh scene i would just be wary of being backstage and uh a stranger asking if you want to blow on this for a while <laughs> that's uh, you know and he's I, like well he's like i have a problem lipping things it's like i don't think that's gonna be a problem it's coming over here <laughs> Um, yeah, it, he looks like straight Abraham Lincoln in this. It's out of control. I see the picture up on IMDb right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it was. I looked at. I was like, why is Abraham Lincoln visiting him? But uh, um, interestingly enough, that actor uh, Anderson also was worried about uh, mimicking a trumpet playing. Uh, which I thought he actually, if I didn't know that he wasn't playing it, I thought he did play it. And I'm, and I, and I saw that I'm like, man, they got someone that's really good with the trumpet that actually can act too, which sometimes you can't get both of those, you know? Yeah. And, well, it helps. Yeah. They kind of keep him in the shadows as he's yeah. walking up too. Yeah. Uh, but he, he said he also worked with somebody else and worked really hard on his solo to mimic it. And then when they got to the set and Klugman was doing his work too, He's like, aren't you worried? Like, you know, he's like, basically said, did you practice? He's like, practice what? He's like, didn't you try to do this? He's like, people aren't going to care what, like, what notes I like. I'm looking like I'm hitting. They're like, if they if they don't know, they're not going to care. And he said, he said years later, because I watched the scene, he's like, and you can't tell who was faking and who wasn't. He's like, so I guess he was right. So it's just <laughs> funny that like you know Anderson was like pissed off at him for like you didn't practice a lot on faking your your trumpet playing. So. Yeah, well, I was watching. You know, sometimes. Uh, it- you watch people fake play instruments and I, I know enough about trumpet and he's at least hitting the, uh, the valves at the right time. So that's, that's what a, I that's thought. A plus. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, I don't, I don't know the notes necessarily anymore on trumpet, but look convincing. Yeah. No problem. I just, I thought it was interesting. They had two actors that had to, to practice playing the trumpet in a fake way. For, yeah. You know, I, and yeah. I appreciate it. It makes the episode seem a little bit more authentic. Yeah. So, so anyway, Abraham Lincoln handed him his horn and he blew it for a bit and it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> that's your, that's your story right there. We're done now. No, <laughs> I, I liked it. Like, um, he said something about like, uh, he said something like you can play that really well. And he's like, yeah, I'm an expert on trumpets. I thought, I thought that was a nice little, like, we know where this is going, but it was yeah. kind of a nice little, little comment before we figured out who he was. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess we figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so he basically tells him that he is in a limbo and he's still laying there in, I guess, like a coma or something. And uh, that he has to make the decision whether or not he wants to stay there or go back to living his life and kind of look on the brighter side of things and give it a second shot. So he he tells him, you know what, maybe I have been wrong. There, there was quite a bit to live for. And you get another nice little performance bit from uh, uh, Jack Klugman. And he's like, all right, well, you can go back. Then he starts walking away back into the shadows and uh, Jack's kind of yelling at him or not Jack, Joey. I'm <laughs> confusing his real name and his character name. Um, he starts yelling to him. I never got your name. And he turns around. So he's Gabriel. Yeah, he's like so. Gabe short for Gabriel right underneath now, the light. This would have been this would have been my favorite episode because isn't Gabriel supposed to blow his trumpet to signal the end of the world? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> that would have been such a better episode. I'm going to rewrite it right here, that when he walks into that alley, or backstage, whatever that was, um, and he blows a trumpet, the world ends, the episode's over. <laughs> I, I would like that. Um, I did like when he turned around and said his name was Gabe, short for Gabriel. There was a overhead light above him that is like perfectly like a halo. It was a yeah. nice... Like, yeah, it was, it's the it was only nice light moment. working in that little alleyway. Yeah, um, so that was a cool shot. Uh, I agree that had been a way better ending to this episode. Um, you know, <laughs> it's just like, all right, we got all the good character stuff. Now bring on the hellfire. Well, I also feel like so. So then, um, so then Joey, he, he wakes up like where he was like struck by, um, the, the, the vehicle. And then the guy pays him off quickly. Cause he is what have insurance involved. Um, which I'm just like, Oh, how times have not changed, you know? Um, <laughs> cause it's like, here's some money, like oddly conveniently and enough money to go buy your trumpet again. So here's your literal second chance at life. 
Um, and then, then he ends up playing his trumpet on, on the, a rooftop. Um, and Nan hears him and like, it was, it was a sweet conversation. It doesn't feel as organic now as maybe it felt then. Cause it's just like, there's a girl that doesn't know this guy and she goes up to him very, not aggressive, but very proactively and starts talking to him about the city. Yeah, well, they had thirty seconds to get it across. So. Well, yeah, because he spent seven <laughs> Again, minutes I'm having not him standing yeah. on that one. <laughs> but yeah, basically, he she has just come to the city for the first time, and he gets excited to show somebody what he loves about the city, and she doesn't know his past other than he's a guy playing wonderful music on a rooftop, you know, and this is his his possible chance of like you know at a better life, and that's kind yeah. of the way the episode ends. Sometimes that's all it takes. Being very good at an instrument. I guess. Wow. I mean, this this felt like another take. It felt like um, another take on the Big Tall Wish to me. Yeah. Where, yeah, you know, except he actually kind of got his wish in a way. I mean, I mean, he still gets to play. They never really address the whole thing of like I can only play when I'm drunk because they never really show him playing when he's drunk. But you know, I just he still gets to have a happy ending though. Yeah. It's a very positive episode, and I'm pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, Why isn't everyone dead? No, it's just, I mean, not that this, like, because we, we just watched one with a chaser, which has had a dark ending, but it wasn't a dark episode. And, and the ending itself was dark if you just thought about it, but otherwise it was kind of a punchline, and it was fun. And then we had a stop at Willoughby, which did end in a suicide, but overall, you know, the guy, the guy aspired for something different, something more, you know? And in yeah. this... You know, it feels like Joey had that and he made a decision between his trumpet or his bottle and he kept choosing the bottle, you know, and now he has a second chance. So, I mean, it's a very, very hopeful, hopeful episode. It's just like it, it wanted to be more important than what it was is how it felt to me. It yeah, wanted to I be like what you, you know, said about it. it has great moments, but overall it's, it's full of stuff we've seen that has uh, been done better already in the series. Um, it, it's pretty surface level <laughs> stuff, you know, just uh, don't take life for granted. Look on the sunny side of things and, uh, like, don't let your addiction get the best of you. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's very surface level. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, it, it wasn't too impressive. And well, and, and after knowing the history of kind of how the script kind of got booted around and how this character kind of changed, it, it felt like, it felt very appropriate that this character had had greater success before and knows he did. And he's struggling with that and also trying to move forward. And I'm not saying Serling felt like that all the time, but you could definitely tell that he didn't take no for an answer. And even when people were telling him like, Hey, this maybe isn't the best. He's like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And, and this was still kind of, half baked. And I don't know if it's because of the 20 minute time frame Cause we found out that sounds like they were wanting to shoot more, but they weren't allowed or yeah. what, you know, like, um, this is, yeah. I wonder how much is just Serling. Like, yeah, maybe it's not the best, but I need scripts. I need <laughs> yeah. all the scripts. Like, I got to pump these out. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And like the one, one of these books I've been, I've been looking at here, they actually have, uh, when the script was submitted to CBS, uh, when initial read through rehearsals and, um, shooting happened, it was like very fast and with the episodes sure all of these were so it's i I, you know we go through these with a fine-tooth comb and sometimes you forget about how fast and furious this tv show is moving yeah you know and serling was the one responsible for most of it you know him and buck houghton you know, it's uh, I, I can't imagine the amount of stress that he was well, under to find good screenplay or yeah. teleplays to throw on there. And considering that we, we still got, what, like four, three or four episodes in the season and it ends sometime in June. And then the next season started up in September. Like, that's that's ridiculous. You know, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. So you always you always got to keep that in the back of your head while watching these. Uh, the only other issue I had with this episode, and this is what I kind of teased at the beginning um, and you kind of answered it by saying that this has gone through a lot of different iterations, but I was really upset that an episode about jazz, like a jazz trumpet player that was shot in 1959, 1960 did not have a better atmosphere to it because mm-hmm. this is my favorite era for jazz. You know, you got all the free jazz coming out and all the hard bop and everything. And it was mostly black musicians 
and a little bit more on the bluesier side. And this kind of just him meeting with the band leader and everything had more of that big, ba- big band swing era, which felt dated uh, from where this episode would have aired. And I just I really wish it would have had more of that that cool atmosphere, you know, get some like John Coltrane-esque uh, character in there, like Ornette Coleman or something. Well, then, um, then that and makes me... for how progressive the show has been with casting black actors and everything, I, I was just shocked that there was a jazz episode in 1960 that didn't capture the world of what jazz was like right then. How great would it have been to cast uh, Gabriel as a black, uh, a black man that was playing the trumpet? Like, yeah, even that would have that, that like just like something like that would have been so telling of this era of uh, jazz musicians. Like it would it would have captured the atmosphere so much better. And I think I would have liked the episode a uh, little bit more because yeah. it just felt it felt stiff. Yeah, and that's not what jazz was like at this time. You know, it was it, it was so loose and so cool. And it was, you know, it was almost punk rock at this in during this era. You know, people were rebelling against uh, the type of music that they're portraying in this episode. And uh, I, I think if they would have had the atmosphere again, can't rewrite it. It's already done. Uh, I would have liked it a little bit more. It was just it was just strange to me that for how progressive, like I said, the show was that he didn't go in that direction for casting. And well, and do you feel like the trumpet was the like the big soloing instrument instrument before people got into like the lead guitar? Because I feel uh, like yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of you know a lot of those old uh, jazz guys from that area era. Um, trumpet was most of them played that, you know, if it wasn't piano saxophone, it was yeah, I guess that makes sense. I didn't think about the piano and the saxophone either. I was just thinking, but I mean, trumpet's the one people think of, you know, when you, when you think of the, uh, struggling jazz musician, most of the time you're going to go to a trumpet in your head. So I, I was fine with that. I just want a little bit and it, the score was okay. Um, it was kind of low key and what there was, I thought was fine, but Again, like uh, about a, an episode about music, I wish there was a little bit more music to be found in it. It kills me because the jazzy score in The Chaser was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, it, it would have been great if they would have just reused it for this one. I probably wouldn't have even noticed and it would have worked even better. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, you're right. That is a bit odd for an episode that's supposed to be so focused on, especially yeah, if I, this is like one half of his existence, you know, how he yeah, views the world. I just love I just love jazz from that era. So anytime I see the stiff, boring jazz, it just makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to watch this series as we go forward because we're in 1960 now and it ends in what, 64, 65 to I'm just to, I'm, I'm curious to see how the music stylings will change uh, over the course of the series. You know, like, yeah, I'm sure there's still well, going to be a maybe lot. Maybe of- I will get my uh, hard bop jazz episode. <laughs> maybe. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, is this episode worth watching? Absolutely. Is it, is it one of my, this isn't like a bottom five episode. It's just kind of, it's just kind of there. And, um, I feel like it's just one of those things that it, it's a little bit of wasted potential, but I also feel like there's times where like his agent said, you, you don't, you don't get analytical about your own work. So sometimes there's times where you get so close to something that you lose all focus and it's hard to pull yourself away and say, is this, is this the best usage of this? You know? And, and I'm guilty of that too. I'm not nearly the same caliber as Serling, but there's times where I, have liked an idea so much, even if it doesn't fit around the rest of them, that I I want to keep that part of it. And yeah, it's tough. I, I think I think everyone can relate to that. I mean, I, I've been in a band for most of my life, and we will not do artwork for our own band because <laughs> you're too close to it, and you want somebody else to do something so you don't have to stare at it all the time. And that makes sense. You know, it, it's the same type of thing because you get too close to it, it's hard to see the faults in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's really well put. So, uh, any other, uh, any other notes about the episode before I get to the random connection, uh, association, I I have like a half a page written about, uh, how I was pissed off at the portrayal of jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned. If you want another 20 minute discussion after the episode, yeah, check out my jazz cast, (laughs) jazz Um, cast (laughs) NPR. Jazzing all over with with, uh, with Kevin. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> come on over here and blow that for a bit with Kevin. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, Gabriel was jazzing all over in that <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Um, did, I, feel like, I feel like this episode's title should have been One for the Angels. I feel like that would have been a better title for this episode than the one that's called One for the Angels. Just because yeah, I feel I, like... I don't, 
I don't mind the <laughs> title though. Passage for Trumpet makes sense as well. Yeah, yeah I it guess. can go two different directions. So that's it's, true. It's fine. So um, I. I tried to find something that connects to the episode. I was like, I went looking for the history of trumpets. That was boring as all get out. And then I was like trying to find like true and quote marks stories of people meeting angels. But then that just got dumb. So I decided to go. Yeah. I, um, it was, it was all Christopher Walken. It was weird anyway. So, um, <laughs> I, so I went another direction and I, I started looking for what is the most successful thing that's happened while someone's been drunk. Cause they talked about how, how Joey played well when he was drunk. And the one thing I'll mention here is, um, is Ulysses S grant, uh, you know, leader of the Northern army in civil war, legendary, uh, legendary drunk. drunk. Right. Um, <laughs> and part of it is that it turns out that he actually knew, like he was really good at knowing, uh, when to go on a bender because like whenever he would drink that was how they, how they put it here. Uh, Lincoln actually preferred him. I said, uh, paradoxically, Grant was the great military leader Lincoln so desperately needed in part uh, because he suffered from alcoholism. The disease had such an impact on Grant's personality that it became a factor in Grant's military success because he had absolutely nothing to lose. Grant could brush aside caution. So it's like, uh, that's, that's crazy. And then Lincoln went on to say that he wished his other generals um, uh, would need Grant's brand of whiskey is how he put it. So Grant would just get hammered and not care and that, that sounds like that's kind of like, that is dark. Cause I mean, this guy, you know, there's stories of him wandering away on benches too, which that's kind of funny, but kind of not when you're leading a war. Um, but if you think about what was needed at the time to end the war, because the, the, the Northern leadership, um, was very, a lot of people were put in place that they said that they had military training and could lead men. It was basically like a, a glory, like look at me type of spot and they wouldn't take action. He was the first yeah. person who's like, we got to get shit done, get hammered and send people out. He knew the hard decision. These people were going to die, but he also knew that the North had like four times as many resources as the South did. And that you'd had to grind them out, you know? So like, yeah. I don't think, I don't think anybody else would have let, um, Sherman marched to the sea, you know, other than no, the, the no. Uh, Grant. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, d- really interesting life. <laughs> I, <laughs> I recommend if you haven't read a biography on uh, Grant, it's it's a trip. Um, I would say that Oliver Reed's acting career was the best thing ever done <laughs> while drunk <laughs> since we brought him up earlier. Uh, quite possibly the greatest actor uh, who was drunk during every role he ever did. Oh, so, OK. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of legendary drunks. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's just a couple people out there that for some reason they can just function, you know, like, and I yeah. know what was it? Uh, Lars von Trier. I uh, said that he, cause he actually went, um, for alcoholism, like, you know, for addiction yeah. and he went for treatment and he came out saying, I don't know if I'll be able to make a movie ever again. Cause yeah. he, it was so integral to his movie making process, I guess it was just, uh, I don't believe anything he says, but well, that, be that as it may, I just know that he was basically saying that I made all these movies when I was like in this condition. I don't know if I have that capacity, you know? And, and even like Stephen King, he does not remember writing, Oh, which book was it? Cujo. Cause he was so high on cocaine. He does not remember writing that book. Like, so like that's, and that's, that's ridiculous. Cause it's actually, I mean, that book, I mean, you know, it moves by at a clip, like, you know, as if someone writing it was high on cocaine, but you know, yeah. it's, it's still a pretty good book, but he has no recollection of writing it, you know? Yeah. So well, even, uh, screaming Jay Hawkins, one of my favorite, uh, rockabilly artists, uh, I put a spell on you. He doesn't remember recording that in the studio. Yeah. One of the best vocal stylings ever on that song wow. and, and little demon, uh, doesn't remember any of it. So people are capable. I don't recommend it. But, uh, don't listen to us. We're not telling you to go get drunk and try uh, crazy things. No, no. Uh, but I mean, if you do, just keep it in the car before you go to the gig, because then that way they can't call you out on it. That's all, you know. Uh, no, don't drink in the car. Well, no, I Paul. mean, okay, fine. Fine. Drink, get an Uber, go to the gig, and then that's, leave. That's leave. one thing. Uh, don't let anyone fool you. They are not a better driver when they're drunk. That's true. Yeah. That's one thing people, always, I've, I've heard people say, and it's like, nah, nah, you just think you are. <laughs> um, all right. We should get to this twist. We have been rambling. Yeah. Anyway, we, we, we just been doing a little bit of noodling, you know, as they say. All right. Anyway, here's the twist. Does, I'm give, uh, noodling yeah. involve putting the whole mouthpiece in your yeah, mouth? Yeah, just noodling, you know, canoodling, you know, French kissing the horn, whatever. French kissing the French horn. Um, I'm giving this thing a one 
I just like, you know, the fact that he would appreciate the life that he had. Is that the, is that the twist? Like, I just I don't know. I think the twist he was in purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've like it, you said we last last week before we watched the episode, you were like, oh, it's a guy dealing with people that are frozen in place. We, we thought we were getting like another another version of elegy. So we kind of already expected like like an afterlife type thing. And I don't know. Yeah. Just I didn't. But whatever. It was fine. It's just not much of a twist. <laughs> I, lo- I love our review. It was fine. <laughs> uh, I'm going to agree with you. This is a one star. Uh, nothing nothing really surprising. You can see it coming a mile away. Uh, we've seen it done better. Yeah. And, uh, I, like I said, it's okay. I didn't hate watching it. I didn't love watching it. <laughs> I'm pissed there wasn't better music in it. Yeah. That's, and, uh, uh, yeah. And I guess uh, Jack Klugman, uh, I wish he wasn't so white. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's my uh, yeah. that's my uh, little tie up there. There you go. All right. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it for the episode. Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Um, yeah, I guess we didn't mention it was our uh, one year anniversary today. So thank yeah. you guys for listening. It's It's been a blast. I love sitting down uh, almost every week and talking with Paul. I guess uh, probably closer every other week since we're uh at 32 33 episodes there, there was a span a yeah there's a span last summer where not much happened you know like uh so <laughs> we're making up for lost time yeah yeah so but thank you guys for listening uh it, it means a lot to us we really enjoy sitting down but we'd love to hear from you guys let us know what you think of the show let us know what you hate about it uh let us know what you think about the twilight zone let us know what your favorite episodes are. You can email us or leave us a voicemail at uh, strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. You can send us a message on Facebook, Strange Highways. And if you would uh, rate and review us, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. It would really help us out. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, uh, it's been it's been fun this past year talking about the show, appreciating it more and more as we go along. Um just again it's just it's it's nice not to binge watch something and 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 still watch it with a critical eye and then know i get to talk about it so i, I do enjoy this a great deal yeah um, and we're we're trying we're still trying to come up with something to do at the end of the uh at the end of the season just to kind of put a nice little period on season one so we have a few ideas rolling around if you guys have any ideas or anything you want us to cover anything we've talked about uh, just send us an email. Maybe we'll put up a poll or something on the Facebook page and see what people are interested in hearing us talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, next week we have uh, Mr. Beavis. Um, I have not seen this episode, and the the name already has been ruined for me because of another Beavis. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've not seen this one. I have um, no idea what's about to happen. So that this is sometimes the best ones because then you get surprises like Elegy and The Chaser for me. So... Uh, you know, here's hoping that's awesome. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, so we're both in the dark. All right, so, so, so till next time, uh, be safe. And if someone sees you like in a dark alley, and says, "Hey, come over here and blow on this for a bit," I would think twice about doing that. Yeah, especially if it's Gabe Lincoln. <laughs> Hey, I'm a ghost. You know, that truck made it after all. <laughs> I'm haunting you. I'm a ghost. Boogie, boogie.